Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 215 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, February the 3rd, 2024. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last week for our episode with Stephen Abendondolo of Filth Bomb Breaks. We had a great episode. You can check that out next Saturday. Our guest is Paul Hickey from Sports Card Strategy. Tomorrow night, the PWCC Weekly Hockey Auctioning Watch Party does return. And Monday night, we will have an episode of MC Mondays Live as well. I'd like to ask you to please join close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick and accurate comps to price your cards and other card management features you can build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing features. So check out their Instagram account and please join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to $1 million in value is fully guaranteed by their guarantee, fully insured by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android, and please join me and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee for our every second Tuesday Instagram live episode of the Veriswap Trade Desk, where we review three trades that took place on the platform over the past couple of weeks, and we asked you guys to choose which side you would prefer. And also, announcement, please join me in welcoming new Sports Cards Live sponsor, last week's guest, Filth Bomb Breaks, the team at Filth Bomb, offers live case and box breaks. As we learned last week, they do so with integrity and responsibility. If you enjoy group breaks and are looking for a company to break with, please check out Filth Bomb at filthbombbreaks.com. Also, shout out Hobby News Daily. 
great collection of content creators and writers, hobbynewsdaily.com for daily information and a daily podcast. And also shout out Leighton Sheldon, Just Collecting Vintage Breaks. Leighton will be joining us a little bit later for the Vintage Spotlight segment. And finally, you can now buy and sell tag-graded cards on ComC. And Tag's new TagX grading service is a game changer. Now grading Pokemon, Lorcana, and other rounded corner TCGs. Visit taggrading.com if you value transparency and consistency in card grading. Thank you to all sponsors, partners, of course, our loyal viewers and listeners, you guys, all past guests, everybody, for your ongoing support. If you are not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. And as always, tonight, your comments and your questions are in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby in 1986 when he was at a local department store. He saw a cello pack of Topps Baseball and Chicago Cub Thad Bosley was on top. That's all it took. He actively collected until college and he took a break and returned in 2015. He started the Wax Pack Hero blog in 2017 and the podcast in 2019. And from 2020 to 2023, he had a part-time LCS. His favorite players of all time, Ryan Sandberg, Michael Jordan, and Walter Payton. His favorite teams of all time, the Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bears, and the Chicago Cubs. He's originally from Sparland, Illinois, currently hailing out of Bloomington, Illinois. Let's bring him out, Mr. Mike Summer. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Jeremy Lee, I'm doing great. I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. It's overdue. It's a long time coming. We go back a couple of years now. Uh, and it's it's good it's good to have you on. And before we jump in, did you go to a card show today? I know you did. Tell us tell us. Let's kick it off with talking about the card show you went to, and maybe just a little bit about how you felt, what the vibe was like. Yeah, I went to a, a show earlier today. There's a, a show in a town that's about 45 minutes away. It wasn't a, a huge show. I think maybe I would say about 15 dealers and probably somewhere around 50 tables, something like that. Um, and it was packed. It, it, I got there about 10 minutes before it officially opened. There was already a crowd gathering around. And probably for the first two hours, it was shoulder to shoulder people um, at this smallish show. And so there was um, a pretty good variety of, of modern. There was a decent amount of vintage that was there. There was some nice dollar boxes that I spent some time digging in. Um, had a lot of fun and and uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty good show for, for being a, a fairly, you know, non-publicized weekend, one day, single day show. Nice to, uh, nice to hit the local sort of, is it a monthly show? Did you say? No, I think it's, I think this is only the second time they've ever had it. I think it's maybe quarterly. Okay. Okay. And yeah, like we have a, our, our monthly local show, what, well, one of them was actually today. I didn't, I didn't get there. I went last time. I couldn't go today. We are, I got to let every, you know, people who have been watching this show for close to four years now and people, and if you've come and gone, you're new, you've seen that you've seen me sitting in this room pretty much every episode, unless I've been traveling. Well, I am in the process of moving into a new house right now, Mike. And uh, these last few days have been like moving days, officially moving out uh, on the 14th of February. Uh, so I think next Saturday will be the last episode where I will be sitting in this environment. It'll be a brand new kind of background for me and uh, made me think of it because that's why I didn't get to our local show today because I was busy taking 
carloads of stuff uh, from the old house over the new house back and forth. I think, I think I did five trips today. Luckily, the new place is less than 10 minutes away by car. So uh, very, very happy to... Uh, I was sad to miss the local though. You know, you never know what you're going to find at one of these local shows. How have you... What's your experience been in your, you know, general region when you're going to a show and like looking for cards? Are you, Do you find you get lucky? Is it the same stuff over and over again? What, what's your experience like? Yeah, I think it really just depends on the on the person and on the dealer, right? There's a few dealers that you see at all of the shows in our area. And a lot of times it's that stereotypical, they've got the same stuff every time. Um, but then there's others that they come every couple months and it's like every couple months, that's a whole new set of display cases or or boxes to be digging through. This one today, there was a mixture of dealers who were kind of the stereotypical dealers that we see in all of in our area. But there was at least a handful that travel throughout the Midwest. And so, you know, they were in some shows in Ohio, Indiana, Southern Illinois. They were kind of all over over the last several weeks and kind of what they said going forward into the next couple of weeks. And so their stuff was completely new to me. I had never seen it before. So it's really kind of hit and miss in our area anyway. That's nice that you had a bit of a, a bit of mix. The local that I'm thinking about here, it's the same vendors for going on 15 years now for the most part. You know, you get the odd new one here and there. Uh, but I got lucky uh, last time. I found a really awesome card that I hadn't seen in a while and I was managed to snag it. So sometimes, sometimes you do get lucky at our local shows. Let's say hello to everybody else. Hope you guys maybe got to some local shows. Hey, Jake Dahl, welcome to the show. Foul five ball, what's going on? Tyson's. Corner, what's happening? Tyson, Robert Scott, good evening. Jeff McMahon, Bob Boozle says, give us the top tier tips, Mike. I don't want to be eating noodles out of a cup anymore. I hear that. Uh, Bob Boozle, Perk, welcome. Michael, Linda's first, what's going on? Says, love to hear about small town shows. Jeremy says, hey, Mike, I haven't seen Mike for a few years since the About the Cards podcast. Isn't that interesting? We are going to be talking about that when Leighton comes on. Uh, Jeremy, so get ready for that. Hobby Champs is here. Uh, Bob Boozle says, please do a mansion tour. I wish I could do a mansion tour, uh, Bob Boozle. But I was thinking about when I leave here, maybe I'll show you guys kind of, um, you know, you walk into my house and how do I get into this room just for just for fun? Brett Miles, what's going on, buddy? Good to see you, Brett. Eric Stefano, peeps. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Mike, why don't you, for those that don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your hobby history? You know, you you, you got that first that first pack in 1986. That's when what sucked you in. But just run us through your, your hobby experience thus far. Yeah, so 1986 was when it all got started. As a Cubs fan, I saw that cello pack. Had Cub Thad Bosley right on top. That's what got me started. And from that point on, you know, my, you know, packs were 30 cents a pack or whatever back then. And my mom would buy me a few packs every week when she went to the grocery store, found some more kids in our neighborhood that collected. I mean, it seemed like almost everybody was collecting back then. And year after year, I expanded a little bit more. I started to get into some football. And then as I got into um, my early high school days, late junior high and, and early high school, I started to add on basketball that when they started to become more and more available. And I collected pretty much everything I could get my hands on all throughout elementary school, junior high and high school. And then I kind of took a break. And then in 2015, I don't even know how or why, or I, I think I was on ESPN and a DA card world 
banner ad popped up and I said, and it was talking about their Black Friday Thanksgiving sale or whatever. And I said, yeah, I used to have a lot of fun collecting cards. I wonder what this is all about. And I started to explore a little bit more, bought a few um, boxes from DA Card World back then. That got me hooked, got connected with the, the local shop here in town. And from that point on, it, it didn't take me too long to realize that um, I was going to have a lot of fun with this. But if I was going to have a lot of fun getting back in the hobby, I was going to need to do something to help offset the cost of these cards. And so that got me started buying and selling collections to kind of make a little bit of profit to cover the cost of this this newfound, or maybe I should say this rejoined hobby that that I was going to be a part of again. So from 2016 on, it's just kind of continued to, to grow and build and get my um, solid base of understanding of how much the hobby had changed in since the, the 80s and the 90s. And um, I've just been having a blast since. And now I kind of have both a, a hobby component and a business component when it comes to cards. So right away, when you kind of came back, you immediately thought to yourself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump back in, but I want it to be self-sustaining. It sounds like you you planned that right from the beginning. And I, th- I think, you know, that's an, that's an interesting uh, approach, especially if you're not going to dip into, you know, your your regular earnings from your job, your career, savings, you know, it's got to be a challenge, but, you know, how do you feel now? Here we are, you know, that was 2015 or so. Here we are close to 10 years later. How do you feel? And we're going to get into how you do this for everybody to hear, but how do you feel that you've, you've, you've done so far? And, uh, and, and yeah, just let me, let me ask you that. How do you feel you've done so far? Like, like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's been it's been a blast. It's been fantastic. So part of the reason that I wanted to make it self-sustaining hobby, too, is I've always had this entrepreneurial streak in me. You know, there's always since I was a kid, I was looking for ways to make a little bit of money. And so once I figured out that I would be able to do that with this other thing that I love being cards, that just made it so much more fun. And there was some trial and error along the way. Right. You know, there's times where I tried to buy and sell um, and rip wax, you know, and, and was I going to be able to make any money buying wax, ripping and then trying to sell what was inside. Eventually I, I moved into the buying collections and, and buying and reselling from these, from these bigger collections. And that really is, is, is where I hit the sweet spot. And the other thing that I, I have had a lot of success with that I think has, has allowed me to, to win is I'm a fairly low risk type of guy, right? And so a lot of the stuff that I've been buying and selling was base and insert cards. And those are things that a lot of people view as worthless garbage. And that meant that I was able to pick them up for fractions of a penny a piece. And and that's just been so much fun to kind of um, utilize those types of cards to do my buying and selling. And so it's been great because over the last, you know, six, seven years that I've been doing this, I've built a, what I think is a fairly decent collection essentially for free. And I've, you know, made some extra spending money along the way and money to be able to save and do some things along the way. So um, I would say, has it worked? Absolutely. It's worked. Um, it's, it's been fantastic. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. Is, is it fair to say then that you didn't take this approach of the hobby self-sustaining because, you know, you needed to financially? Is it Was it more like a challenge to yourself and based on your, your entrepreneurial spirit? And I ask because, you know, you can, you can be wealthy, you can be average, you can be, you know, less than average wealthy, and you can, you can probably still accomplish what you have. I think you told me like, what was your seed capital to start with? It was low, wasn't it? Yeah. So I would say part of it is the challenge, right? Yeah. It, it was, it was in, in prioritization, right? So I prioritize, I prioritize our family. I prioritize saving for my girl's education for the, for their future college expenses, saving for retirement um, and, and those types of things. And so I didn't want this hobby to take away opportunities for the rest of the family, whether that is what we're saving for in the future, going on vacation, whatever it might be. Um, so, so it was more as the challenge than it was, you know, a uh, need. I, there's money that I could use from my everyday budget if I wanted to, to be able to buy carts, but yes, it was more of a challenge. So I started with about $300, uh, cash that I had set aside at the beginning and, uh, you know, a, a couple monster boxes of junk wax era cards that I still had from when I was a kid. And that's what I used, um, to ultimately get started um, and you know, I, I, I sold on eBay on ComC and, and sport lots were the, the sites that I found and that I started to connect with and see some success. And so, yeah, o- over that period of time, I would buy a collection, sell it for more, use that money to cover the cost of a few boxes or singles that I wanted, and then buy some more collections and continue to scale that up. And, um, at this point I've kind of turned that that $300 and a monster box of cards into, oh, what do I've got? I've got about 380,000 cards listed in my inventory on sport lots. I've got 155,000 cards of inventory on ComC, you know, plus all of the, the eBay inventory that I've got listed. And so all of that has been purchased, listed, all paid for with profits from, from buying and selling. So, okay. You see my face going like, 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 I, I, I'm I'm baboos. I mean, I'm bamboozled by by this by some of the the quantity, the magnitude of the volume you're dealing with, and the biggest question I have w- with all you talk about all these listings on Sport Lots and all the listings on eBay. My question is: Does not necessarily apply to Com C, and you'll know why when I ask you this. But my question is: How do you ha- how do you find time? To, how did you find time to list almost 200,000 cards, I think you said, on sport lots? And also the shipping and the organization, the inventory management. How do you, Matt, I mean, listen, you've got a system. It obviously works, but I'm my mind is blown, Mike, you know, that, that you managed to make it work. You have this organ, but also the shipping, the time it takes to deal with every, like if you're selling a card for, 75 cents, you know, and it's not on comp C. So there's actual shipping to deal with 
75 cents for, for a card or a buck and a half or three and a quarter, whatever it is, these, these real low-end cards that you referred to earlier as like worthless for the most part. How do you find the time? How are you organized? Like just, you can, you can tell how my mind is racing. There's so much going on here. It sounds like an absolute labor nightmare. Tell me how you make it work. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, there's no getting around that it does take work, right? You know, you can, you can make money doing this. I have made money doing this, but it definitely does take work. And so there's a couple things there is I also enjoy it, right? There's things that I enjoy about that. So there's times where we're as a family watching shows in the evening where we'll have a, a show on, on TV and I'll have a box of cards out on the floor sitting there with the family and I'll be, you know, sorting and, and organizing and things like that. Um, and so there's times where it's, it's able to be worked in to, to situations like that. The other thing is I'm an early riser. And so I get up on my own. Like I just wake up. I haven't set an alarm clock in probably 10 years. I wake up probably between 445 and five pretty much every day. And that gives me at least a couple hours before I start. You know, I need to be at my day job and that type of thing to fill orders and and do some of those types of things for what came in overnight or or what's been, you know, you know, if something needs to be listed or I've got some time to list. And so I've got a couple hours there to do some of the, the pull packing and shipping listing. You know, that's when I do some of the blog or, or podcast recordings and things like that when I'm when I'm recording the podcast. And so a lot of that work is done then. Um, and then, you know, I, I just I don't waste a lot of time. Right. So I'm pretty intentional about my time throughout the rest of the day and setting aside a, a little bit of time in the late afternoon or evening when I get home from work to check in on some of those types of things. And then for three and a half years, when I was running the card shop part time, I had several hours on Saturday and Sunday afternoons where I would be at the shop and there wouldn't be customers needing my full attention. And I would utilize a lot of that time to get things organized and ready to get listed as well. And so all of those things together allowed me to kind of find the time to be able to put in the work to, to do this. Yeah. So, okay. A couple of couple follow-up questions. First, how do you decide what card to list on which platform between ComC, SportLots and eBay? And, you know, I'm kind of asking this question for, so you can give advice to the audience because maybe someone out there is thinking, you know what, maybe it's not as, as tough as, as, as I thought it was, or, you know, not as working. You, like you said, it is hard work, but maybe you'll inspire some people to try the same thing. Yes. So sport lots was, I found that site because I was a set collector when I was a kid, when I first got back into the hobby, I was building sets and it was one of the few places that you could go and find random commons that you needed to complete your tops flagship set or your Allen and Ginter set or whatever it might be. And so as I was building these sets or I was buying some of these these wax boxes when I first got back, I was one needing cards to fill out these sets. And then I was like, well, what am I going to do with these extras? How am I going to sell them? I can't I'm not going to sell a comment on eBay. Right. That was the only place I was familiar with at the time. But Sport Lots was a perfect site because there were more people like me. And so com or for so Sport Lots, I sell kind of your standard base cards, your standard inserts and parallels and things like that. Typically on sport lots, it's going to be cards that range from their site minimum of 18 cents all up to, uh, you know, two to three dollars is probably kind of the where I cap out for most of my listings on sport lots. And then eBay is at this point now I use eBay for cards that typically are going to be ten dollars and up um, plus twenty dollars and up plus complete sets 
and some of the memorabilia and that type of thing. Um, that's what I usually sell on eBay. If you go out on eBay, you'll see a lot of other random stuff that I, I, I buy and sell. We can talk about that if you want to, that, I, that I've got into some, some other reselling. I saw American Arbitrage on. He's kind of inspired me to, to get into reselling some other things. But um, And then ComC is what I use primarily for cards that are worth between a dollar and $20. And um, that site lets you scale, right? Like you mentioned, you don't have the same labor involved when you sell on, on ComC because they take care of so much of the work for you. And so that that trifecta, that combination of sport lots, Com C, and eBay has is, is really been a, a, a great fit for me. Sounds like you have it pretty well figured out. One of the things you do have to do on Com C is update your prices. Uh, if something happens to an athlete, you know, a good or bad, uh, you might want to, you know, a card could triple in value overnight and somebody can go in and just grab it. I think there's people that that kind of stock Com C looking for those opportunities quite, quite regularly. Uh, if you could like, okay, I want, you said an eight, an 18 cent minimum on sport lot. So have you ever sent out a car, like one card that you got 18 cents for? And if so, how do you justify the time and effort that goes into generating 18 cents in yeah. revenue? Yeah. So it's 18 cents is the selling price of the card plus shipping, right? So then they're paying, you know, a dollar or whatever it is for shipping, right? So it's not like I'm, I'm losing money on on all of those right so it's it's 18 cents plus shipping and so I'd, I'd say you know what's it justifying the cost of that you know I think you got to look at it in total over the course of the month you know and so you know last month I sold over 3,000 cards on sport lots um, some of those were one card orders for 18 cents some of them were one card orders for three dollars and some and one of them was like a 560 something card order that came from about four different sets out of two monster boxes that took me um, 25 minutes or something to fill. Right. And so it was like $150 order in 20 minutes. And so in total, it's worth it. Right. When, you know, you're, you're clearing a thousand dollars or, or more or whatever for the, for the month, even though that one single order may not have been. And so, but when you look at it in total, um, it's a numbers game. It just kind of, it works. I want to ask you another question about, you know, there's a lot of discussion out there in the hobby. There has been for years now collecting versus investing, you know, it sounds like you are, it's different. It sounds like you're, you're kind of a a unique case where you're, I, I believe you're certainly a collector and I don't necessarily see you as from what I know as an investor in that you're buying you're buying cards to quick flip or you're buying cards to hold long-term. I think you're more investing in just inventory, just invent like simply it's really that part of the hobby for you, your activity. It's simply a business so that you can achieve your goal of building your collection with those, with those profit and therefore not dip into your own savings. Does that make sense? Is that, is that about right? Yeah. So I think that if you want to, how would I say this? I would say it depends on how you define invest. I would say what I take advantage of is arbitrage. I find opportunities to buy these collections full of cards, base and insert. I'm a lot of times getting for a penny or less. And I know that I've got outlets to sell them for 
18 cents to a quarter or a dollar or a dollar 50 or or $2, right? So, um, you know, a lot of what I would understand is arbitrage is a form of investment. And that's the type of, of investment that I would make in the cards. But yeah, I'm buying inventory at a real low price because I know I've got platforms to sell them for, you know, for more later. It's very low risk, you know, what I'm talking about and what I do. But yeah, I don't buy cards with the hope of appreciation. Mm. I, I buy cards that I know that I can I can resell for a higher price than I paid. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And you can generate that that profit, that premium by putting in the work. It's really mm-hmm. like it, it's really simple with you. You're yep. you're you can buy collections at discounts because very few people. I, I dare dare I say no one except Mike Summer. And I might go on. I might in the future say no one, and then always put say except Mike Summer wants to do the work. But because you put in the work you get really good deals on big, as you should, because it's hours and hours of labor to get the stuff done and actually, you know, exploit these cards to the best that you can. And, and, and not only exploit them, but get them into good homes where they eventually want to be with collectors. So I think it's great, man. I think it's great. And I'm glad there's somebody out there doing that. I, I don't think I could. So I certainly commend you. Let's, uh, let's go to some comments. We've had a few come in since we last did. Uh, Leighton Sheldon is, has joined the green room, so we'll bring him up uh, as soon as we're done that. How's that sound, Mike? Good? Yeah, great. All right. So I want to say hello to Craig's Cards. Craig, what is going on? By the way, I owe you another email, and I know that, and uh, it's just a time to issue. Chris C., what's going on? Royals417 says, love the Wax Pack Hero podcast. Bob Boozle says, Chicago pitcher Steve Trout had what the kids call riz on those 1980s baseball cards. Thanks, Bob Boozle. Mark Santucci is here. What's going on? Mark, American Arbitrage Cards. Love seeing Mike. On, I love having Mike on the show, American Arbitrage. And welcome you to the channel and to the show tonight. Chris says, I love wax of all eras, but to me, nothing beats the wax you opened as a kid. The memories last a lifetime, unlike that horrible gum. Okay, Chris, I have an issue with that. I love that horrible gum. I wish I could still get it. But Chris is right, Mike. Like, you know, I collect unopened packs. And I collect unopened packs of, well, more than just this, but 80s Opeachy. That's what I grew up opening the most tops and basketball, baseball too, football as well. But I want those packs because of what Chris C says, those memories last a lifetime. And I want to keep those memories sharp. I want to keep them alive in my head. 90s hockey collectors, what's going on? Good to see ya. Bob Boozle says Mike Summer is a card listing dynamo. I think that's that's well put. I couldn't think of a, a better way to do it. Fellow five ball, whose name is Jeremy, has a question for you, Mike. He says, "Do you still complete sets yourself?" I I do, but not the modern sets that I was doing. Right. So when I when I was getting back into it, like I said, I I went crazy. I was getting tops, flagship, Allen and Genter, Gypsy Queen. I was, you know, the basketball, you know, Panini Donruss. I was getting everything. Now I've scaled that back. I'm not getting as much modern. My focus for the last couple of years has been um, building out my vintage run. And so over, you know, probably since 2017, 2018, when I got started with that, 
I've completed all the way back through the 70s. I am now working on the 50s and 60s. And so I finished off 69, 68, 67, 60, 61. I've, I'm on my last like 40 cards of 66. And I've got four cards left that I need from the 59 tops baseball set. So a vintage baseball is the, are the sets that I'm working on now. And because you were so, you just had those, those needs, the amount of cards per set that you need right at the top of your, right at the tip of your tongue. Do you also know who you need? Like which four you need to finish the set? Not that I I, need to know who they are, but do you know who you need? Yeah. 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 Yep. Not, not of the 66s. It's it's, um, a bunch of the high numbers. And so I don't, and there's, so there's some commons and stuff in there, but you know, they're a little bit pricey, but I don't know all of those 66, but the, the four 59s I need, I, I know. Yeah. You're down, you're down to four for sure. Uh, Michael says Mike takes his hobby seriously. He, he sure does. He certainly does. Uh, Chris says, I'd like to sell some stuff, but not giving my great cards away either. Mike, do you see a bottom coming vintage seems to hold value unlike anything your thoughts on that yeah i mean i i think you know we've seen the we've seen cards come down over the last few years i think overall demand um from a quantity perspective is is still higher than it was you know before the the run-up that we saw um i don't do a lot of trying to to pick a bottom or or time the purchases of those types of things or or think it's going to turn around again, a lot of the stuff that I'm buying and selling, it's unaffected by the, the rises and falls that we've seen from some of the, the high end cards or some of those big movers. So while I think that things have pulled back and normalized quite a bit, um, I think for some things, it's probably going to go a little bit lower. I think for some things we're starting to see um, prices tick back up a little bit. So we're, we're probably somewhere in the middle. From from my we're always somewhere in the middle. We're all we're always well, maybe not always somewhere in the middle, but the cycles never end. We'll do a couple more comments, and we'll bring Leighton up for the vintage spotlight. Uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name. GZ says, uh, "Will Mike ever embrace blockchain and sell digitized ownership of these cards, uh, keeping the physical card?" Uh, just yes or no on this one, Mike. Uh, maybe. I'm not opposed okay. to. I'm not opposed to NFTs and blockchain, but I'm not ready to jump head first into it yet bobby burrell says hey guys uh, utilizing your knowledge and experience to help pay for your collection has been working for me for 25 years yeah knowledge is power in many many different areas mark santucci wants to know uh, who was the 18 cent player card if you can recall i don't remember off the top of my head i mean there's i've got a lot of 18 cent cards listed so Not- I, I can't can't not a them. star, not a star. Like we're talking commons, right? Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly commons. Or it could be a star that is, you know, their 10th year card or something like that. Chris C says selling today is more complicated, it seems to me. Many want to pay just a fraction of the most recent comp sale. Not every card is is uh, something. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't come across these. I don't come across those buyers uh, that often who want to pay a fraction of recent comp. If you're talking commodity cards, sure, people want the best deal. But rare cards, you can set your price, uh, I think, for the most part. Sean Robb wants to know, have you seen sport lot sales volume increase in your time on the site, Mike? And then uh, we're going to bring out Leighton up after this one. Yeah, easy answer would be yes, both both for me. And then also overall volume on the site has increased. And I'd say that by they've got some like tiers of sellers based on minimum sales thresholds and the number of sellers in those higher tiers has increased over the last several years for sure meaning there's more people selling more cards 
And Sean Robb is the really the only per, other person besides you that I know who sells on sport lots. So, um, but it sounds like you're selling a ton of cards there. Uh, when we come back after the vintage spotlight segment, my question is going to be, why don't more people know about sport lots? Save that yep. risk. You remember what that question is going to be when we come back. And with that, guys, let's go ahead and bring on Mr. Layton Sheldon for the Vintage Spotlight segment here Saturday nights on Sports Cars Live. Nice haircut, Layton. How you doing, buddy? You look good. Good. Thanks for having me on. How are you, Mike? Good. How are you, Layton? Oh, very well, thanks. Appreciate you having me. So you guys actually go back a little bit. When I was talking to, to Mike earlier this week, Layton, uh, he mentioned to me that you guys might have sat together on the podcast that was mentioned earlier on in the episode tonight. Um, I forget what it was uh, about the cards. You guys said, do you remember that Layton being with Mike on about the cards? Uh, I don't want to like lie and say, no, I don't. <laughs> it's a while I, I, ago. I, I can barely remember like what my son and I ate earlier today. Um, but uh, I'm sure it was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, I sat in, I was guest hosting. They have three normal hosts and I was sitting in for one of them guest hosting and and you were the featured guest that, that week. But it was probably 2018 or something like that. 20, 2019. Oh, that seems like, I mean, yeah, it, was, it was a while ago. 2018, 2019, something like that. Well, I'm glad you guys can reacquaint here on Sports Cards Live here on Saturday night, February the 3rd, 2024. Uh, Mike, as you know, and as the audience knows by now, I always ask our guests to come with a question, a topic for Leighton, something with a vintage spin to it. So, Mike, what do you got for Leighton tonight? Yeah, so we just a few minutes ago, we were talking about some of the vintage sets that I've been building over the last few years. And the approach that I've always taken, just I don't know why, that's just what I've done, is I've always kind of built out the commons and build out some of the lower tier stuff first. And I've saved those big stars and some of those big hitters for last, but I know there's other people who do the opposite. They buy those big hitters first and then fill in everything else later. And so with you having such a background at vintage, I'm sure you've helped multiple people complete vintage sets that, and, and pick up some of those cards that they've been wanting. I guess I was, I was interested in your perspective on the pros and cons of of either of those approaches or both of those approaches or if you had some additional some additional suggestions on on ways to maybe approach vintage set building well you know mike i can help you with this very easily by saying hey just sell whatever you have now because i mean i don't know if jeremy did this on purpose but timing wise he has me sitting in the green room and you're rattling off like 1960s sets and i'm like you know, what are you guys doing to me? But, you know, the joking aside, um, Mike, really great question. Uh, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong. I have a little bit of a different philosophy than you've implemented uh, that I've recommended to others. And I've also, I guess, I've learned myself what works for me. And my advice would be, if you're going to be working on one or several sets, I personally like to go after the stars or the key rookie cards first. And the reason why I like to do that is because I feel like just us as humans, we change our path often. And if you end up, for example, Mike, it seems like you, you know, have been involved in dozens of sets. If you decide for whatever reason or another, waking up on the wrong side of bed, that you no longer want to complete your 1965 top set, for example, in baseball, which doesn't even have a particularly rare high number series, 
But nonetheless, the sets from the 60s typically cost more for the high numbers. What I worry about for collectors that want to complete vintage sets, if you go out and spend hundreds of dollars and you end up, let's just say you get 80 cards, a couple hundred cards from the 1965 Tops baseball set, it might feel really good. And I know myself, even as a 40-something-year-old man, I still love having all these cards around me, man. Absolutely. But if you decide to bail on that said project or that said set, it will be so much easier for you, Mike, or the fellow collector who might be listening to this now or in the future to actually get out of it and not lose your butt. Because if you paid 300 bucks for a Steve Carlton rookie, you might get 200 or 250 And Of course, you're taking a loss. But I can tell you firsthand, if you brought to me a Just Collect, hey, I have this partial 65 Tops baseball set with 308 cards, and I virtually have no stars, no um, rookie cards, and no key cards. Even if I was interested, I don't really piece out those cards. I would simply just sell it as, as a lot. And so kudos to you, Mike, because it seems like you wouldn't do that. But at least to me, I think it's a lot safer to start with the stars and rookies in key vintage sets. The big drawback, though, is this. You need a lot more money to do what I'm suggesting. Because you can go out and literally start. I mean, think about it. You could start a 1965 Topps baseball set two nights on eBay for as little as $20. You could start having common cards come into your home. But let's just say you do this for 25 weeks in a row and you've now spent $500. I'm telling you, you are so much better off spending that first $500 acquiring the Carlton rookie or I guess the mantle, depending on which way you want to go. Um, and I just think you're going to be setting yourself up for a much better position to either complete the set or if you decide to bail on the set and go in a different direction, I think it will be a little bit easier to sell off the assets, i.e. the cards from that set, and actually recoup either most, if not all, the money in a lot easier of a fashion. That's my take. Yeah, makes sense. I can see that. Layton, do you have anything to uh, – first of all, thank you, Mike, for the for the question. Layton, great comprehensive response. Do you have any, any topic you'd like to – introduced to the discussion oh i well i do because i was fascinated listening for a few minutes before i hopped on hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mike, how the heck, and I love ComC. I've known Tim since he founded it. He actually founded it almost the same year as I founded Just Collect, like 17 or 18 years ago. I literally have thousands of cards on ComC right now that are available for sale. But I also have thousands of cards, Mike, that are not priced out. And I'm curious... How would you recommend to me and to others to utilize ComC properly to not spend all of my waking hours or getting up at 445, as I heard you say, to price up my cards on ComC? Because, I mean, I just, I, you know, I can't do that. Um, so what, what do you have as far as suggestions? Yeah, I, I have, for me, that's not been 
a challenge. I because I enjoy that process so much. I, I enjoy I enjoy it so much. So the things that I'm using when I'm trying to to come up with a competitive price, it comes down to a couple things. Primarily, how many of the same card is already on the site? You know, if there's a handful of cards that are on the site already, generally I've got a feel for what the value of this one's going to be, and I try to price my cards competitively to the others that are on there. Um, if it has a, a low sell-through rate, I might try to be the cheapest on the site. If it seems like the sell-through rate's a little bit higher, I don't necessarily need to be the cheapest because it won't be too much longer before I become the cheapest by by listing things on the site. Um, if it's something that's more rare and unique, and I have what they call what a Com C monopoly, I've got the only one that's going to be listed. A lot of times, I'll use a, a kind of a comparison with eBay of of what that card or a similar card is selling for on eBay. Um, just to make sure that I'm I'm going to be priced comparatively. And so I will utilize kind of an eBay comparison to, to price those others. Um, but then as far as just the logistics of doing it, um, whether it is listing on eBay, whether it's listing on, on Sportlots or whether it's listing on ComC, what I've found works for me is just to set aside some dedicated time, whether that's 15 minutes, whether that's a half hour or an hour a day, whatever it would be that you can set aside as dedicated time to get in there and, and price those cards and, um, and kind of just work through that that backlog of things that you've got waiting to be priced. That's what's been been helpful for me is just being intentional with with your time and, and setting that side, that time aside. Well, it's very impressive, uh, Mike, and I can tell you, and this is my issue. Any time that I generally would have like set aside, you know, a little block of time for something like that, I feel like there's other things that are calling my name. Uh, and I'm just talking professional. I'm not even talking personal responsibilities. Uh, and so I was going to ask you, like, how many cards can you price an hour on Com C? Because I've tried to test myself that if you want to do it with intention, it's difficult to do it super duper fast. Yeah, it, and I I don't know that I've got a, a good answer because of the way that it uh, you know cards I submit the way that they drop in there typically you know they're you know 10, 20, 30 cards get dropped in a given time and it doesn't take all that you know all that much time to go through and do those every once in a while if I'm buying cards on site to flip I buy and and flip a lot of the EPAC cards from Upper Deck again. I don't have a problem buying a card for a penny or two cents, repricing it for 38 cents on Com C and, and waiting for it to sell. Those, there's some there's some shortcuts. If you're buying a bunch of cards that are all the same and you're going to price them the same, you can hit star star and it automatically puts in the price of the previous card that you listed. And so I can have a listing of four or 500, you know, EPAC cards that I just bought to flip and I can just hit star, 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 just punch the star button and it's going to drop down that 38 cent price. And I can price, you know, 100 cards or whatever shows up on the screen in, you know, a minute and a half. So it, it doesn't take that long. It just depends on what exactly you are, are going through and pricing. As fast as you can hit that star button, just. Yep. Yeah, like Mike, if you don't mind, maybe you could drop me your information later. I think I have some <laughs> questions for you. you Absolutely. There you go. Right on. Good, good stuff, guys. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people have some of these issues. And uh, we had a couple of comments that have come through at all. Like, you know, I'll just run through and we're not going to get into these right now. But, you know, Perk says, I do the same thing as Mike, but only on eBay. I have a good following there. But am I missing out by not listing on other platforms? Well, 
I'm glad for Perk's uh, for, for Perk that we're actually discussing it right now and talking about some of the things that, that do go into it. Bill Betts says, me too. I still have over 12,000 cards to price on Com C. I find myself buying more than I can price. I mean, but the, the thing is, and even for Leighton, like, <coughs> imagine having to also scan and ship and leave feedback and everything else to go, go to the post office, all these things. At least all you need to do is price. And it's something to be said when even that can be a drain. You know, that can be a challenge. But for Mike, it's it's time management, it's discipline, and it's commitment. That's how he does it. You know, you asked, how do you, and I wondered the same thing. How do you do it? I think those three things are are how he how he does it. So good stuff. Uh, Leighton, I want to thank you for joining us for the Vintage Spotlight segment here, as we do on most Saturdays. Uh, any any final comments or, or announcements or anything going on at Just Collect Vintage Breaks you'd like to mention, as well as I want to let everybody know to do subscribe and listen to your podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Uh, final, final words to you, Leighton. Sure. I just wanted to share something and be fun to listen to you and Mike discuss it when I hop off. Uh, so something I was really into, you know, a number of years ago when I had a little bit more time in my hands was like, you know, TTM collecting and, and collecting autographs through the mail. That's kind of ceased for me in recent time, just for one reason or another. Um, however, if you go to my blog at blog.justcollect.com, I recently bought um, a group of cards and I think it had like five or so Nolan Ryan rookies. And literally like a light went off in my head. I'm like, oh my goodness. I think that Ryan still signs through the foundation. And, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I bought the collection. Even though Nolan Ryan rookies are great in any condition, they weren't high grade. I wasn't that excited. But then I turned, like, marginal excitement into, like, this super fun, hey, what inscriptions am I going to get? So on and so forth. And so I dropped them off in the mail, literally, like, almost like when you send out cards for grading. And I just kind of forgot about it. And then they just came back this week. I'm going to post on it uh, on social and IG. I'll tag the show, Jeremy. Um, but I wanted to basically ask a question, but also share a tip. So my tip is this folks, there's a website. I forgot the name of it. Um, I'm sure someone from the community knows, um, there's really great information out there. If you want to write to former players through the mail, obviously no one Ryan doesn't do it for free, but that was really cool. I, I was fairly comfortable to submit the cards through the mail, even though there was rookies because you're making a donation to the Nolan Ryan foundation. And so I guess my question for Mike and the tip for the audience is like, hey, make sure you go through these cards that you're collecting and see if there's any fun rookies or even veterans you can send away through the mail. Mike, do you TTM collect? And if you do, how bad has the bug caught you? And are you setting around, are you setting aside rookie cards the way that I ferociously was doing for years and years? I'm curious if that is something that, you, that you've done or, or do now. Now, I have not done it um, anytime recently. I did it when I was a kid. You know, there's a few um, Isaiah Thomas. I'm not sure if it was a legit return or not. You know, um, it came back as Isaiah. Mark Price was a, a good one. He he sent back a letter with his as well. Rex Chapman, Chris, Chris Morris. Uh, you know, I, I went after just a, a variety of, of different people. Um, so I, I've, I did that some when I was younger, but I, I haven't done TTM much at all as an adult. Well, it definitely takes a lot of time. I know for me, I haven't been doing it that much. And of course I paid the Noah Ryan foundation, but it was extremely satisfying. Like it was fun. I'm going to maybe take, you know, one of the ones with the multiple inscriptions to keep that sell off the others. I don't know if I'll make any money, just a fun little project mm -hmm. and uh, a really a cool way to deal with some off grade 
you know, desirable cards that were vintage. Very cool. Right on. Well, Leighton, thank you for, for coming back again. Guys, follow Leighton at Leighton underscore Sheldon and just underscore collect on Instagram. His podcast, Trading Card Therapy. Leighton, always a pleasure. Love when you drop the knowledge bombs. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Yep. See ya. All right. So, as I said, before you came on, I wanted to pick up where we left off, which was why don't more people... Maybe they know about it, but why aren't more people talking about sport lots? Like, again, I only know two people who use it. You and you and Sean Rob, who was in the chat. I yeah, I, I I'm not why? sure. I, I they're not they don't have a very heavy presence on social media. Um, you know, I'm not seeing uh, marketing anywhere really. You know, I've not seen them advertise really on on too many other platforms. Um, I'm but. Other than that, I, I can't really say. I mean, the, the design of the site um, and, and the owner will will admit this. You know, it looks like it was I, I call it like GeoCities for cards, like it was designed on, you know, a, an the old original, you know, web design software. Right. And they're going through a process to upgrade that a little bit right now. But I think sometimes people see it and they they just look at it. And it's like this looks outdated, you know, but it's very functional for the purpose and the, the, the target market of set builders and some player collectors and things like that. Um, it, it works for, for its purpose. And there's a lot of people that, that still use it, but, but no, it's, it does not have the, the notoriety of, of some of the other major online marketplaces. Interesting. I mean, yeah, it doesn't, but yet it, it's obviously running a business. You're doing well on there yourself. I know Sean does well in there uh, himself as well. Uh, again, Sean Robb, who, who's in the chat and a friend of mine. Um, okay, let's go through some more comments. And I want to get into a few and a few new topics that uh, things that, that have piqued your interest uh, really as of late. A couple, okay, so a couple things that have come through. First, Chris C says, have you guys seen the 79 Opeachy sealed hockey case that's up for auction at Heritage? It's uh, he says easily two. It's probably gonna go for more than two million. You know, it's so funny, Chrissy and Mike too. Like I have, I go in, I get into my car, I turn on the radio. They're talking about this Opeachy hockey case from 1979 out of Saskatchewan, and it's like everybody. I've had more people reach out to me asking me about her. It's you know, and the funny thing, like you guys, everybody watching this, you all know that that. Me, you, all of us who are here tonight gathered watching the show, being a part of it, we like live and breathe this hobby. So, of course, we know about it. I got people texting me saying, have you heard this? Like, they're sending it to me as if I haven't seen it before. It's kind of like, of course, I know about it. You know, I'm sure a lot of us are, are experiencing that and we're feeling the same way. Of course, it's kind of funny. But, yes, of course, uh, we have seen that. And I'm sure I'm sure most people by now have. We'll see. what It's going to be exciting to see what that does sell for. Do you have anything to say about that, that find that recent find Mike? Oh, it'd be awesome to find something like that, to, to uncover something like that in the back of a store, you know, some old five and dime store that, you know, there's a, there's somebody that I interacted with um, on Twitter. I think we were talking about some non-sports stuff and, and he, he came as about as close as you can get to a, a similar find with, um, some non-sports stuff from the the seventies and eighties from somebody in their town that had an old department store, five and dime, you know, candy store or something. And in the back when they, 
eventually were cleaning it out. They found a whole bunch of unopened boxes of, of some of that kind of stuff, but um, none of it had the value that the Opeachy would have. Yeah, that's a, that is an absolute crazy find. Hello to Tip of the Mitt. Good to see you. Welcome back. Says he's thinking about tackling the 54 Tops baseball set. Beautiful, beautiful set. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, Bob Boozle said, something tells me Mike Summer is like a pit bull. Once he chases a set and bites down, he won't let go until he finishes it. That is a committed. Is that is that accurate, Mike? Is, is Bob accurate on that? Yeah, I would say once I've committed to it, I am going to finish it. I, I I can be patient. I don't have to, you know, drop everything and and get all of those missing cards like within a, a few weeks or, or anything like that. But yeah, when I've decided that that's the one I'm going to complete, I will track it down until it's done. I love that. You just said, you know, you will be patient. Me too. When I, when I tackle a new project, I don't need to get it done as fast as possible. I enjoy that. I, I sometimes, I want to stretch it out. I want to savor the process. I want to, I want, I like these 10, 15, 20 year projects. I've, I've got a couple on the go and they're, they're very, very enjoy. At least for me, I find them highly enjoyable. Hello to Alan Turwell from Waxstat. Good to see you, bud. Welcome to the show. Bill Betts says, I wish if I had 100 of the same card, I could just enter the price one time for all 100, not one at a time. Yeah, there are some shortcuts, as Mike mentioned uh, earlier on ComC. Uh, GR wants to know, do you pay separate fire, theft, and water insurance for the cards? And the, yeah, do you, do you keep, and this is maybe something you don't want to discuss, I don't know, but is it all... Is your inventory all located on your on your your home premises and and do you have everything insured properly? Yeah, m- most of it is and it's probably not there's probably more that I could do um from an insurance perspective. I I'll just say that. Cool. Oh yeah, I mean fair enough. Thank you for for re- responding. Mark Santucci picked up a Brian Leach rookie uh, on on one on either your ComC or your Sport lot since the show started. So, very cool. Thanks for that, for that, Mark. Uh, Jake Dahl says, is it fan biz for the TTM addresses, the website that uh, maybe that was what Leighton was talking about. Leighton, maybe it was, Jake. Maybe it was. Alan says, I got a Fernando Valenzuela on an 87 Fleer card through the mail. Very cool. I remember the I remember the Fernando Valenzuela hype in the early 80s. And Bobby Burrell, also of, of Sports, Car- Sports Card Daily, says, as the hobby sorry, Hobby News Daily, as the hobby was on an upward trend in 19 and 20, the the drop over the last year has likely had those two graph lines actually meet at this point. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're coming back to, to where we were at one point in time for sure. Mark Santucci knows two other people who also use sport lots. Good to know. Good to know. And Michael watched them certify that 7980 Peachy case on video. The boxes were snow white. You don't see them like that. Yeah, I saw that video too. They looked Really cool. Okay, <clears throat> Mike, let's switch it up. I want to talk about your podcast for a moment here. I want to talk about, first of all, what inspired you to start your podcast? Yeah, so I, I would say it really kind of goes back to what inspired me to start the blog, right? And and what, what inspired me to start the blog was back this, the whole story of me getting back into the hobby and how much everything had changed. And the process that it took for me to figure out, wait, there's only one manufacturer of licensed baseball cards. And at that time there was only a couple who made football and only one that makes hockey. Like, what do you mean? This is all, all, you know, single manufacturers and 
the price of everything and selling on, and, and buying and selling online and all the different marketplaces that exist online. All of these things were new and it took a while for me to figure them out. And so eventually I got to the point where if I'm having this much of a challenge, boy, wouldn't it be nice if maybe I could create something that other people who are returning to the hobby could use to help that education come a little bit quicker for them. And that's kind of the, the inspiration for why I wanted to start the blog and what I wanted to share on the blog. But the inspiration to actually do it came from sports card, um, sports card radio of, of all things. Um, I, I listened to them. I was a podcast listener and they were one of the first ones I found. And yeah, there was a lot of, of nonsense that got spewed, but they also shared a lot of insights on what it was like running a shop, suggestions on running a website that they had success doing. And one of the things that they preached was, hey, don't just rely on cards, but create content that can be out there and be helpful and people will find valuable and that you own you know, and, and you can and write about new things. You can write about old things, just create content and own a piece of that. And so sports card radio is actually the inspiration for me to actually get off my butt and start to, um, to do that and start creating content. So, um, the inspiration to help and, and guide people, that was, that was what I wanted to write about at the time, but sports card radio was the, the reason that I actually started doing it. And so you were, Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to ask, like, back then when you were listening to the Sports Card Radio podcast, I mean, you know, back in 15, 16, 17, and just to, because I wasn't searching out content. I was active in the hobby, but I wasn't searching out content back then. How many options were there back then to listen to and to find hobby content in the pod? This is probably really predates the, the you know, the proliferation of YouTube channels offering yeah. hobby content now, but... How many different hobby podcasts were there back then, if you can back recall? Back then, probably four or five. I mean, it, is it? So so they were they were creating, they had their show. Um, Beckett had a show, um, the, the Fat Packs podcast, that was out. Um, there were a couple others that were, no, they're no longer around either at this point, but, but they were going on. But there was four or five, and then, um, you know, kind of John Newman started his show a little bit after that. And he was one of the, he, he was one of the ones I think that started the more recent wave that we've seen of, of sports card podcasts, but there was probably only four or five that I can remember that I was aware of. Well, not a lot, not a lot to choose from back then, but I'm glad you found inspiration through the, through sports card radio. That's, that's definitely pretty cool. Bob Uzel says sports card radio put together a very fine program. I think he's talking about their early podcast. Um, Okay, let's get into some topics. Anonymity. Anonymity of hobby content creators. You did an episode about it. Uh, if you could just sort of give us a, your thoughts on kind of what motivated you to, to create that episode and what was your what were maybe some of your big highlights, your points, your, your takeaways, uh, your thoughts on anonymous hobby content creators. I think, you know, the the most famous one is card porn, and we know what happened to them for the most part. Well, most people, I think, know know that they got kind of obliterated from from the hobby content world. But what was your what was your uh, your motivation for that episode, if you don't mind? Yeah, I think you know when when we're out consuming content, whether that's just from an entertainment perspective, from an education perspective, or when we're out dealing with people on social media, 
it's so easy to hide behind a fake picture, a non-real username, and and nobody's gonna nobody can even know who you are or what you stand for or or where things are at. And I guess over the last few years, I've seen enough examples of deals gone wrong or bad advice being given that it just it something stood out to me is like, well, why don't we expect more? Why don't we expect to know the identity of who we're dealing with? You know, who we're putting our trust in from a content perspective, who we're buying and selling, you know, buying from and selling to. Why are we willing to accept anonymity for those for those entities? And so I was kind of in, you know, was thinking about that and um, had another friend, Ivan Lovegren, who made a post saying, hey, with all of this stuff going on, why why now? Why today are we willing to accept that? And I was like, that's a great point. Why are we willing to accept that? And so, yeah, so I put together kind of an article talking a little bit about about what anonymity has given us and whether that's card porn, this um, Michael AI, card grader AI guy that, that popped up not too long ago. Um Eric Whiteback, which is not his real name. His real name is Ben Haynes, but he goes by Eric Whiteback. But why are you using a fake name and and trying to bring in this audience? That stuff just rubs me the wrong way. I think when we're dealing with cards, when we're dealing with some of the the money that's changing hands in the card world, I'm not a fan of anonymous accounts and and doing business with or or putting faith in, in anonymous accounts. It's it's interesting that you know and and was your article was it spurned on because of card porn or or, or well I say you you just listed off three or four what were it those was it those particular accounts that caused you to do the the article and and the pod or and 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 I ask because I can't think of any others really maybe one or two but are there still some out there today but that you haven't know that you haven't just named. Those are the ones that inspired the article. I think there are a lot of smaller ones that are out there, right? There are smaller ones where where buying and selling is taking place with with random accounts that are that are out there on um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and that type of thing. Um, I'm I'm not aware of any other major ones that have that have the weight behind them that you know card porn or. Um, the Eric Whiteback account, you know, some of those have behind them, but, um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of anonymous accounts that, that are doing business out there on a day-to-day basis. And people are just hoping that the deal goes through and that, um, that they do things properly with, with goods and services, transactions, and those types of things to give themselves some protection. But, um, but I don't think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily taking those precautions. And I think after the card porn fiasco, I, I don't think that we as a hobby are that acceptant, uh, that accepting of these anonymous accounts anymore. And um, I mean, even the the Eric Whiteback, that's sports card guru. What's what's the actual yeah. what's the actual handle? It's, it's his, his handle is is um, Eric Whiteback, I believe. The collectibles guru, I think, is what is you know what the name thing says okay. or however that that's works. What was, that's what I was looking for. The collectibles guru. Yeah, you know, we at least I think we know what that guy looks like, but I don't I think after I think the hobby learned a lesson based on what happened with with card porn. I think it'll be a lot more difficult in the future. So based on, you know, as a result of that, as a result of you talking about it and others talking about it, I don't think we're going to have to 
put up with that anymore. And if 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 there is a an account that starts to get some legs that is anonymous, I have a feeling that it'll, that the breaks will, hopefully the breaks will get put on that sooner rather than later, and it won't become uh, it won't become a big issue, uh, or at least they it won't it won't have the power that those accounts have and had. So hopefully, yeah, I, hopefully that I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I, I hope so. I hope so as well, for sure, for sure. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.